0: Wow, thank you, Generation Band. Our hearts are stirred, aren't they? And I pray that'll be the cry of our heart. I know it is. And just, wow, that was, we couldn't have sung any better, any more truer. Much of us good grammar, Rick, but man, that's my heart is right now. And I just prayed as I was sitting there about what God would do in our family, you know, and how we can mobilize our kids and me and Julie just to, for the nations. I appreciate all that you've taught me personally this month. Uh, I've spent a good, some time with Rick, not enough for all that I've learned from him, but some time with him this month. He's been in our staff meetings, and he's just taught me a lot. Um, some things I've had to adjust. Some things I've had to correct in my own thinking, my own terminology. So thanks for coming uh, for our church, but thanks for coming all the way to Ankeny from Laos for me too. I appreciate that. I learned a lot. Um, as Rick comes to speak, you're going to be receiving one of these right here. It's an action card that he's going to walk you through today, and he's going to teach us about these five rules. So, ushers, I know your passing out now. I appreciate that. Uh, don't just step in your worship folder, amen. I want you to hang on to it. You can write on the back. You can write in between the lines. Uh, but we've learned a lot, and I just appreciate so much your heart for helping under- understand God's heart. So, first family, you help me welcome back uh, to this including Sunday our missionary and our future mobilizer, Rick Davis. Thanks, Rick, for being here. Thanks, Doc. Thanks.
1: I can only believe it was uh, three weeks ago that I was standing up here in front of uh, many strangers to share the word. But after three weeks and many lighthouses, I-, I-, I can honestly say now I'm standing before friends. I've had a great, great time here. Uh, Todd, thank you, uh, First Family, for bringing me back and giving me the opportunity to uh, spend time with you, to share with you, to get to know you, and to serve And uh, uh, Todd, I appreciate you. You have a a humble pastor. And I appreciate Todd so much and the time that we've spent together. Um, On this card, I want you just to notice it real quick. Look at it. It's a commitment card. And uh, we're going to be talking about these five roles in the course of what I share this morning. And at the end, I'm going to be asking you to make a commitment to be involved in God's global plan to reach the nations, to make God's passion your passion. And so I want to just pause and pray and ask God to really speak to us uh, this morning. So that we might, I I don't want to call you to anything. I want God to move you. I want God to direct you. I want God to lead you. So let's 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 pray. Father, thank you for this morning and the opportunity to come and and share Your Word once again with the people here. And Lord, I pray that You would speak to us this morning. Use me, God, and pray that as uh, as we listen to Your Spirit, Lord, that You would speak to our hearts. Direct the people here, Father. How can we align our lives? With your global purpose, and I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, My uh, family is here this morning. They were here the first week I spoke. Uh, My mom and my sister and her family, and my father—he's pastor down at on staff at the church down in Norwalk, so he's not here. But my uh, my nephew here, Justin, he's. 7th grade and 8th grade I'm sorry raise your uh, raise your cast in the air he broke his thumb playing dodgeball his older brother threw the ball so hard and he he couldn't decide whether he should catch it or let it go and it hit his thumb and he broke his thumb and when he broke his thumb he broke it I never heard of this before but there's a growth plate in his thumb and he, he broke it right there and so the doctor said that you have to align his thumb and put that cast on, or his thumb won't grow. Now, I got thinking about that, and that, it kind of brought a, a funny picture to mind. Is what if his thumb didn't grow? And he, you know, becomes a man, and he's, you know, a grown man, and he's got a grown hand, and he's got this little miniature thumb. Now, that kind of brings a funny picture to mind, but it, it's also kind of sad. That something that is supposed to grow doesn't. And I talk to Christians, good Christians, people who go to church every Sunday, who raise a good family, who have a good job, drive a nice car, tithe, and they say to me, I don't feel like I'm really growing. I feel like there's something more. I feel like I'm missing something. And I think it may be that just as my nephew's thumb, if it stayed out of alignment, wouldn't grow. I think sometimes as Christians, our lives are out of alignment with God's Global plan with God's passion for the nations. And we're not growing the way we should. And we know it. We have a nice life. We have a nice family. And we're trying to Christianize our life. But God is not interested in you Christianizing your life. He said to crucify your life. And so this morning I want to talk about what it would look like or what it would take, what it would require for us to align our lives with God's global purpose his purpose of making his glory known among the nations in order to draw worshipers to get our lives in line with his great commission or his great recommission and i think the great commission applies to three groups of people it applies to those people that are like us nearby Secondly, it applies to those people that are not like us nearby. And then it applies to those people who are not like us, who are far away. So I want to talk to you about three actions that you and I need to take to align our lives with God's God's global purpose. The first one on the screen is that I must share with the people in my world. I must share with the people in my world. When missions results in a people group being reached, it then becomes the responsibility of that people, of those people, to evangelize their own people. Guess whose responsibility it is to evangelize Ankeny? Exactly. You share a responsibility with the other gospel preaching churches here in Ankeny to evangelize the people in Ankeny. To share with the people in your world. And understand... Not only did God send us to the nations, and those people that are beyond the message of the gospel, that are beyond the access of the gospel, must be a priority. But understand that God also, that Jesus also has sent you to the people in your world. Take a a look at Mark chapter 5 with me. Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus enters into the region. He comes across the lake. He gets out of the boat. And he's greeted by a man who is possessed by demons, by many demons. This guy is living in the cemetery. They've chained him and the chains can't hold him. He's got supernatural strength. He's cutting himself. He's running around. He, he won't wear clothes. He's naked. He's, he's he's just out of control, demon-possessed man. And when Jesus and the disciples arrive on shore and they get out of the boat, they're greeted by this man. And the demons in him recognize and acknowledge who Jesus is. And... Uh, Jesus cast the demons out of this man. And the demons, the demons cry out not, not to, uh, to, to, uh, to be, be cast into the herd of swine. And so Jesus cast them out into the herd of swine, and the herd of swine run off, and they jump off the cliff. And they commit suicide. Oh, that was a bad Iowa joke, wasn't it? So he casts out a legion of demons into the herd of swine. They run off the cliff, they die. The swine herdsmen go back to town, tell the people to come out to see what has happened. And when they come and see what has happened, they find this man who had been demon-possessed, who had been naked, living in the cemeteries, running around, cutting himself, chains unable to bind him. And they find this man, and he's seated, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. And look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 15 it says when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid now does that strike you as funny? that's kind of strange I would be afraid of a man running around naked cutting himself demon possessed unable to be bound by chains That, that that would frighten me But these people had become pretty comfortable with that. But now that they saw him at peace, in his right mind and fully clothed, they were afraid. You know what that tells me? That tells me that people become pretty comfortable with sin and a sinful lifestyle. But they get pretty convicted by change. It always amazed me when we worked in San Diego, we worked in the inner city, worked with gangsters. And, and some gangster that's, you know, he's on drugs. We, you know, I had a guy, he, he had committed manslaughter and spent several years in prison. He got out, he's at our church, and all of his friends now avoided him. They were scared of him. Oh, when he was, to- when he was carrying, a, carrying a gun, when he was back in and he was, he was shooting people and he was out of control, that was fine. He was pretty comfortable with that. But now that he was saved, now that he was talking about Jesus, now that he had a smile on his face, now that he was being kind, they're like, whoa, they were afraid. Look at Verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You know, it's a pretty good sign that somebody has been saved. This man, his life had been changed and he wanted to be with Jesus and with his people. And that's a pretty good sign that, that, that somebody's life has been changed, that they've been saved, that they want to be here in church. They want to be studying the Word of God. They want to be fellowshipping. And isn't it fun? Isn't it great? Isn't it sweet to be here this morning with people that are like us, people that have the same values, people that love the same God, people that think the same things? It's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's sweet fellowship to be here this morning. Amen. But there's a danger in that. And that what happens many times, that we as Christians enjoy the fellowship so much with other believers that we tend to begin to isolate ourselves from the unsaved. We, as the light of the world, gather together with a bunch of other lights while the rest of the world remains in darkness. What Jesus says to him. In verse 19, Jesus did not let him. He didn't let him get into the boat. But he says, This go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell unto the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus says, I want you to go back to your friends, to your family. I want to, I want you to tell them what has happened. Now wait a minute. This guy's not a pastor. This guy's not had any Bible training. This guy didn't go through evangelism explosion. This guy didn't take apologetics 101. But yet Jesus tells him to go. That kind of wipes off some excuses for us, doesn't it? Well, I can't. I can't go and witness. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know all the Bible. I don't have all the answers. I'm not a pastor. I've never been trained. How much do you suppose this man, this demon possessed man, who had just had the demons cast out of him, how much do you suppose he knew? Not much, but he knew this: that Jesus had changed his life, and Jesus told him, "Go tell the story." I wonder. Jesus wants you to go and tell your story to. Who is it in your family, in your neighborhood, at your place of employment is Jesus telling you, just go tell your story. And you say, oh, but they'll never listen. Well, this man went and he told the people and they were amazed. People listen to a changed life. And I wonder sometimes if the reason people don't listen to us is because we really aren't much different than they are. We, just don't, we don't really live any different than they do. There's really nothing to listen to. Jesus is sending you to the people in your world. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers... To tell your story. To tell what Jesus has done for you. Who do you need to go and share with? So not only does the Great Commission apply to those people that are nearby and like us, those people in our world, but the second group of people it applies to are those people that are nearby but different than us. Give me the next slide. I must No, I'm sorry. You already gave me the next slide. <laughs> You're on top of it, Chris. Good job. Not only must I share with the people in my world, I must dare to reach out to the people beyond my world. Take take your Bibles now to turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus teaches His disciples a great lesson. And I think there's a great lesson or a couple lessons here for us. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but His disciples. When the Lord learned of this, He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, these are very significant words. In your Bible, you probably have some kind of a map in the back. Turn to a map in the back, a map, something to do with the time of Jesus. My map here says Palestine in the time of Jesus. And I want to show you and give you some historical background to help us really understand this passage and understand what Jesus was doing and the lessons He was teaching His disciples. It says that Jesus was going from Judea back to Galilee. And it says He had to go through Samaria. If you look at your map, on the map here I have the Dead Sea, then you have the Jordan River going up to the Sea of Galilee. And down here you have Judea, and to the north you have Galilee, and in between Judea and Galilee you have Samaria, okay? Now, is John chapter 4 just stating the obvious? Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee, so He had to go through Samaria? Is He just stating the obvious? Well, if we understand something about the the culture back then, we know that the Jews, when they went from Judea to Galilee, they would actually cross on the other side of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria. The people were close by, but they were not like them. They were different. They were only half Jew. And they had a lot of prejudices against the Samaritans. Now, I want to take a look at another map. This map also has Samaria in it. In fact, this map has several Samarias. This is a map of the United States. And in this map, there are several places that I would call Samaria. Places that we avoid because the people are not like us. Now, we don't call them Samaria. We don't call these places Samaria. We call them, we call them names like the ghetto, the inner city. And we avoid those places. My wife and I have spent uh, most of our marriage ministering in Samaria. Samaria. In those places that are isolated from the gospel, places that are avoided by Christians because of things like fear, things because of culture, because the people are different, because of language, and because of racism. My first experience in Samaria was right here in Des Moines. I was doing a summer internship at a church in Des Moines. And uh, there was a guy in the church. They had a long list of things for me to do. Work a day with a janitor, lead the choir, teach Sunday school, do this, do that. and Just kind of give me a, a wide range of experiences of what you do in the church. But there was a guy in the church who kept bothering them that they need to go to the inner city and do some kind of ministry. And they hadn't done anything, and the guy kept bothering them. And I think, I, I, they never said this, but I think their idea was, okay, here's a good idea. We can quiet this guy down, and we can give this young punk from Bible College something to do. Let's send him to the inner city to start a ministry. So we had a bunch of buses, so I'm gonna start, we're going to start an afternoon Sunday school. Go pick up children on buses from the inner city and start an afternoon Sunday school. So we went over to Sixth and University. Now, I'd never been to Sixton University. I stayed out of that neighborhood because I was always told that if I went to that neighborhood, black people were going to pull me out of my car and beat me up. So I was told to avoid that neighborhood. And so I did. I'd always avoided it. So here, for the first time in my life, growing up in Des Moines, I went over to Sixton University and knocked on doors. First door. You wait, you wait, you wait, and nobody answered. Whew. <laughs> went to the next door nobody answered went to the third door a squirrel comes to the door now she was kind of dark but she wasn't black she wasn't you know african american ask her what her name she says my name's tiffany okay tiffany where are you from tiffany she's from cambodia Okay, Tiffany, where's Cambodia? <laughs> I was not good as a student, and I didn't know at that time any geography. Where's Cambodia? And a bigger question is, if you're from Cambodia, which is on the other side of the world, what on earth are you doing in Des Moines, Iowa? And I begin to learn about how the Khmer Rouge had killed 2 to 3 million people in Cambodia from 75 to 79. And how their family had been one of the fortunate ones to escape and cross through fields full of landmines and went into a refugee camp in Thailand and applied to come to a host country in America accepted and they 've come here as refugees and Through that summer of my internship, knocking on door after door after door, I met people from Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam. And by the end of the summer, we had about 400 children coming on buses, and the majority of them were Southeast Asians who had just arrived in this country, who could barely speak English. Their houses smelled like fish sauce and rice. And it was so different. The people there needed to know the gospel. But that area had been avoided by the church. You know, let's go back to our story because Jesus, as he goes into this town, in, into, into uh, this region of Samaria, they come to they come to the town, and, and there's a well just outside the town. And so Jesus goes to the well to get something to drink, and the disciples go into town to get some food. And as Jesus is at the well, there was a woman that comes out to draw water, and he asks her for a drink. Now, this is really strange for two reasons. One, in that day in culture, a man wouldn't talk to a woman like that in public. That's one. Number two, Jesus had nothing to draw water with. That's why He asked this woman. So that meant He was going to drink from her cup. And she was a Samaritan. And so Jesus has to cross some cultural and racial barriers to speak with this woman. They get into a conversation. He confronts her with her sin. Her eyes are opened. She understands who Jesus is. And she gets so excited that this, maybe this is the Messiah that we've heard about. So she is going back into town to tell everybody else, come see this man who told me everything I ever did well as they were finishing their conversation the disciples are coming from town they're coming in from town and as they're walking as they are a little ways off they see jesus talking to this woman and they are surprised to, to find him talking with this woman let's pick the story up in verse 27 just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman but no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her then leaving her jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay? She's left. She's went to town. She's told all these Samaritans, Come see this man who's told me everything I ever did. He might be the Christ. So they drop what they're doing and they begin to walk out of town towards that well. Meantime, Jesus is at the well, and He's talking to His disciples who had just come back, and they're saying, Lord, eat something. And He says, oh man, I have, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're thinking to themselves, somebody feed Him? Somebody give Him some food? What? Jesus is saying, I'm so busy doing my Father's business, I'm not even hungry. I'm so excited about what I'm doing. And he says this. Look at verse thirty-five. He says this to his disciples: Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields; they are ripe for harvest. Now, when he says this, open your eyes and look at the fields. Who's walking towards the well? The Samaritans. I think what Jesus is doing is saying, "Look it. Open your eyes." And look at the fields. They're right here under your nose. But because of your prejudices, because of your racism, because of your ethnocentric pride, because of your people blindness, because of your self-centeredness, these people are isolated from the gospel. And I want you to open your eyes and look at the fields. Now, two lessons. Two lessons here. One is that we need God to open our eyes to see the harvest that's in our own backyard. In America, one out of seven homes in America do not speak English in the home. In California, it's three out of seven. And you might be saying, yeah, but I live in good old white Iowa. Well, I've collected some papers over the last, well, a couple years ago when I was living here, before we went to Asia. And I want to talk about the harvest here. Every year they have uh, an Asian uh, celebration, Asian celebration or celebration, I think they call it, where all the different Asian groups here in Iowa, especially in the Des Moines area, come together and have a big celebration. Anybody's ever been to the Asian celebration? Okay, a couple people. Great food, a lot of fun. And so they gave this out. They gave this out, which, which kind of breaks down the Asian groups here in Iowa. Okay? Anybody want to guess how many Chinese people live in Iowa? How many think? Nobody's going to guess. 7,000. Uh, how about Laotians? people that, where i'm living how many laotians you think live here Four thousand. 4, how about pakistanis how about people from pakistan how many people from pakistan you think live in iowa according to this three thousand how about thai dum thai dum are an unreached people group there's about a million Tai dum living in north vietnam Isolated from the gospel. The Vietnamese government works hard to keep the gospel from getting to them. In Laos, there are tens of thousands of Dam that live in Laos. And the largest population outside of Asia of Dam people are right here in Iowa. 8,000 Dam people live right here. They are an unreached people group. Now... Some people have responded, many Titan, there are a couple Titan churches right here in Des Moines. How about Vietnamese? 9,000 Vietnamese right here in Des Moines. How many would say, I've had some people blindness? I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I have failed to open my eyes and look at the fields. I read this, uh, and to me this was amazing here in Iowa. It says, Iowa's first Hindu temple. How many knew there was a Hindu temple here in Iowa? All right. Iowa's first Hindu temple, nestled at the bend of the Des Moines River near Madrid, will be consecrated in a five-day ceremony beginning Saturday this says that the hindu temple and cultural center of iowa is the realization of a four decade old dream of about 1000 indian families who have settled here 1000 indian families settled in iowa and have had a dream for four decades or yeah four decades of building a hindu temple so that they can worship their multitude of gods the way they do in india Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but I I, I read that and I can't help but ask myself. How many of us in the church had our eyes opened to the harvest that was right here in our own backyard and prayed and made efforts to welcome and accept those Indian families and share with them the love of Christ and see them become worshipers of God? I'm guessing not many because now they've built a Hindu temple so they can pray to the multitudes of gods the way they would in India how about the Hispanic growth here? The Iowa's expanded growth has topped 100,000. You know, Iowa was the only state in the country that actually opened a state-funded agency to bring refugees into the state. Happened during during Governor Robert Ray's time, and so for over 30 years now, we've had Southeast Asians that have resettled here in our state. And that Refugee Center, as well as Lutheran Social Services, are still bringing refugees into the state. From Africa, from Bosnia, from all different places. The sad thing is, you know, I grew up on the south side of Des Moines. And... uh, two years ago when my wife and I came back we were here for several months before to prepare when we went to Asia and I went into the Walmart on the south side anybody ever been to the Walmart on the south side I could not believe when I grew up in the south side it was all white and Italian I didn't realize they were Italians my friends were Alessio and Fucolaro and Vavone but I don't know I never realized that they were any different than me but as I got older I thought wow those names that's different you know But the South Side has become so diverse. And I walked into the Walmart on the South Side and I saw Asians and Africans and Hispanics and I saw this, this huge diversity of people. And it was so exciting to see the changes and to see what's going on, to see the opportunities. And I was mentioning this to a Christian friend of mine. A very solid believer. Who attends church, worships the Lord, loves God. And I said, "Have you been to the South Side Walmart? Have you seen all the people that are there, the diversity of people that are there?" And my friend said to me this: "Yeah, that's why I don't shop there." And I'm afraid that attitude exists in many Christians in the church. You know, I'm glad. I'm glad to pay you money, send you money to go overseas to win a black man or a yellow man or a brown man. I just don't want them living in my neighborhood. I just don't want them sitting by me at church. I just don't want them in my small group. So, not only do we need God to open our eyes to the harvest it's in our own backyard so we've got to be willing to cross some barriers to reach the harvest that God has brought to us I remember when I first started working with Asians with Lao people and we went visiting and we went to visit a few people and after this last house the Lao man I was visiting with said are we done and I said yeah he goes "Um, okay um, you can leave I'm going to stay here so I, I kind of got the clue that, okay, so I left. Wondered about it. Found out later that they were getting ready to eat some Lao food. And they weren't sure if I would want to eat with them. And so he just kindly dismissed me. And I determined at that point, you know what? I am going to learn to love Lao food so that I can reach these people. Because I want to I do whatever it takes to identify with them and so I'd sit at home and I'd put all kinds of stuff on the floor and I'd take a piece of cho- a pair of chopsticks and I would just practice picking stuff up piece after piece after piece because I wanted to be able to sit down and have a pair of chopsticks and eat with the people and show them that, that, that the things that were important to them were important to me that I love them I wanted to reach them we have to be willing to cross some barriers and do some things to reach the harvest that's in our own backyard. So not only must I care about the people in my world, and not only must I reach out to people that are beyond my world, but the third one, I must care about reaching the peoples of the world. In most missions models that I saw growing up, you were, it was either or. You were either a missionary or you didn't have a clue what to do as far as missions. And so what I want to do in this remaining time that we have is just to look at some roles in missions. And, and this ones are specifically on this card. I want you to think about ways that you might get involved, personally involved in God's plan for the nations. First one. As a goer. Being a goer. Goers are the front line workers. And I've talked to some people in this church and I know that there are people in this church that I've talked to that God is dealing in your heart and you feel like God may be leading you to go. And I would guess that there may be some others here that maybe you're feeling that in your heart but you're not quite sure what that means. You're not quite sure what to do. So just really quickly, let me give you some things. If you think God may be leading you to go, there are some things to do in preparation. First one, Get established in your walk with God. Because, believe me, I have, had, I have experienced more spiritual attack in this last year than I think I ever have in my life. You, if you are thinking to take the Gospel into an area where Christ has never been named, and you're going to take the Gospel and you're going to tell people for the first time the name of Jesus, you better believe that Satan is going to be doing everything in his power to stop you you have to be established in your walk with God next get experience in ministry oh, it's amazing how many missionaries I meet on the field that have little ministry experience get involved you better be involved be involved here Come, go to Todd go to one of the staff and say man what can I do and I want to get involved and get involved next better get exposure to other cultures You better be building cross-cultural relationships here. Maybe even move into a neighborhood in Des Moines. Move into an apartment complex where people from other cultures live. Because believe me, if you can't build a cross-cultural relationship right here in Des Moines, Iowa, don't think you're going to go to another country and do it. Be doing that here. Next, education. You need to get education in three ways. Number one, you need to get educated in a biblical basis of missions. I think... A great way to do that, number one, is to take the perspectives course. Um, Cornerstone up in Ames offers the perspectives course. Uh, Valley E. Free uh, in West Des Moines offers this perspectives course. If you are thinking at all, you need to take a perspectives course to help give you a biblical foundation of missions. Second area you need to get educated in is what is God doing around the world? Where is the remaining task? Where are the unreached people groups? Where find out what God is doing, and then third, prepare yourself to go. Uh, And let me just say this: Bible college may not be the best place to go to get prepared to go to the mission field. Being the remaining, the majority of the remaining task is centered in the 1040 window, and being in the 1040 window. Almost all of those countries are what we call creative access nations, meaning you can't get in as a missionary. That means you've got to go in doing something else. And so maybe Iowa State or DMAC or a place like that is the best place for you to prepare to. Get you a skill, a marketable skill, that will place you in one of those countries. I know, I know two other Iowans that are living in Laos right now ministering. One, one guy, he went to Iowa State, got a degree in agriculture. And that has placed him in the Laos. That gets him out into the villages, out into places where, where it's hard to get to because of the degree he has in agriculture. So, education, and the last one, is explore strategic opportunities. You can do this through contacting missions agencies, finding out who uh, is working where, finding out what are the needs in those places, who are the unreached people groups, what, are, what is going on, and explore all those strategic opportunities. Next, a sender. Senders are the behind-the-scenes team members. <clears throat> There's a great book called Serving As Senders. And in this book, he kind of helps understand what it would mean to be a sender. And let me, just, let me just share from a missionary viewpoint how important senders are. Several things that senders do. Number one, they provide moral support. Just being there and listening. Now, let me tell you there's a lot of discour- there's a lot of times this past year i 've been discouraged we 've had hard times throughout our time in ministry dealing with infertility and dealing with discouragement and midlife crisis and all kinds of stuff. and those are not the kind of things that I can just write in every newsletter that I send out to the large group of people. I need somebody, I need some people who I can share those things with, and they won 't have the attitude. Well, you're a missionary. You shouldn't be discouraged. <laughs> You're a missionary. You're supposed to be spiritual. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm a person. I'm an ordinary person who's serving God, and I get discouraged, and I need somebody to who will listen. Second, logistics support. Just all those little bits and pieces of things that need done when we come home. Somebody that, that helps us get a car and a place to live, and all all those kinds of all those kinds of logistical things. Maybe we need help sending out a newsletter. Um, those DVDs, I've sent some, a couple DVDs here. Those DVDs, how, how do I get those to everybody? I, I don't mail them from Laos. I can't. I've got to wait till I get to Thailand because Laos people, the Lao government will open my mail. So I mail them from Thailand. I mail them to one person. And he copies all those DVDs and sends them out to everybody. Things like that. Next, financial support, Giving. I couldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for people who give. And we've had individuals and churches, churches like you guys, that sacrifice and give year after year, month after month faithfully. You know what? This last year, we were over 100% every month in our giving. And I look at that and I say, God, thank you. God, thank you for your body who, who... cares enough about your glory and your name among the nations that they give every month to make sure that people like us can be there doing what we're doing. And I thank you for that. Next, prayer support. We have, a, we, we have a, a, a team of people in my home church, a harvest team, a group of adults who for seven or eight years now have been our prayer team. And let me say this, they don't just pray for us, they pray with us. They know the people they're working with, by name, they pray for them by name. They contact us constantly. Sometimes I get busy and don't always write them emails, but they email me, hey, we're meeting together this week to pray. Send me requests. Send me names of people. Send me things so they can pray. Next, communication support. Uh, I'll tell you what, when somebody writes us a letter, oh, it's just so good. We have people. They send us. The, they they collect the, the, the comics from the Sunday paper and they send them to us. That may be stupid, but it's just kind of nice to sit down and read the comics. You know, when I'm sitting there in northern Laos, when everything around me is not in English, and they just sit and read a funny paper. You know, send me a Sports Illustrated. You know, whatever. I can read about the World Series. or Read about the Super Bowl. Just send letters. Send care packages. Right now, we have a, at home. We have a can of cherry pie filling. And it's so special. Somebody sent it to us. And you, you know, once we use it up, we can't just go buy another can at the market. And so it's been sitting there for weeks and weeks because it's so special. We're afraid. We're like, we've got to make something really good. You know, we, can't, we can't waste this. It's got to be really good. And so we haven't figured out what to do with it yet. So we haven't done anything. Next. And then reentry support. You, you don't just go away and live in another country for years and then just come back and just sit right in. You fill out a place. You come back and you see the abundance here. And you see how much everybody has. And then you hear people complain. And you think about the people that you see every day that are barely surviving. And it gets to you. And, 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 and they need help as they re-enter. Next. Mobilizers. Mobilizers are the strategic Motivators. A definition of a mobilizer. A mobilizer is one who mentors in missions. Statistics say that every year there's about 100,000 envisioned people in this country who contact agencies about missions overseas. But statistics also say that less than 1,000 of these will ever make it to the field. And the big reason is they don't have somebody to help walk them through the steps and mentor them in missions. I have a mentor, a missions mentor. A guy named Dave Burdett. A guy in California has a ministry in Mexico, a mobilization ministry. Dave Burdett, he taught me about the, the mission, the unfinished task. He's helped me to understand what the task really means. The things that I've shared with you are things that I've learned from Dave that he's helped to point out to me from Scripture. He's helped me to see where the unfinished task remains, who the unreached people groups are. He has opened my eyes. He, is, he has mentored me in missions. And he is probably the biggest human reason That I am in Laos today. And so mobilization then, next up. Mobilization is any process by which God's people are awakened and kept moving and growing until they find their place for strategic involvement in the task of completing world evangelization. I think mobilizers right now are the key to world evangelization. We need somebody who's going to stand up and sound the rallying call and say we need to get out there and wake people up and get people moving and help people find their strategic place. That's so why as Todd and I talked, I said I'll come back as a as the mobilizer for this month. And that's what I'm trying to do is help wake us up and help us move and help us find a strategic place. Next, welcomers. Welcomers are the ministers of hospitality. I talked about how what we did with the Asians and how we... Uh, how I met the Asians, Begin to help the families. We did the same thing in San Diego. We wanted to sponsor some refugees from Africa, from Somalia. And as I went to the, uh, to the uh, African Alliance for Assistance, he talked to me about a, 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 a group, a people group from Somalia called the Bantus, who were coming, 15,000, largest African resettlement in U.S. history of refugees coming here, and they chose 50 countries, or 50 cities, and San Diego was one of them. And so we began to sponsor those, these Somali Bantu Muslim refugees, and uh, uh, we just went to them and said, "What do you want us to do? How can we help you?" We helped them start their own uh, 501c3 organization where they began to help themselves as new families came. We, we set up English clubs and all the different apartment complexes where Somali Bantus lived. And as I sat and met with this group of elders of Somali Bantus, Muslims, I said to them, I read to them from Luke chapter 4, in Jesus' sermon, how he came to help the oppressed and set the captives free. And I said, "You people have been oppressed for years as slaves in Somalia." But I said, "Jesus, Esau, came to help set those captives free." And I said, "I am a follower of Esau, and that's why I do what I do." we the, the, the Jesus film has been shown to seven different groups of these of these uh, Bantu Muslims, and they are open to the gospel. And there is a full-time missionary now working among them in San Diego. But we were there to welcome them when they first arrived in this country. The ministry of a welcomer. There's a lot of different things we can do as welcomers. Over 700,000 international students come to this country every year. A lot of them from restricted access nations, closed access nations. And yet over 80% of them never set foot in an American home. And they want to. But again, our eyes are closed. Next. Oh, some ways to do that host an international student sponsor a refugee family next eat at an ethnic restaurant with a purpose go to the same place get to know the people initiate a cross-cultural friendship next intercessors they're the ones standing at the widest part of the gap and by that I mean the gap between this people group and the gospel reaching them and there are some people groups where that gap is wide because there is nobody who has engaged that people group yet. And so intercessors are praying for the unreached people groups of the world that God would move on hearts and God would send people to them. There's some great tools to help us do that. There's Operation World. They have a, a book and a website. Every, you go by the day and you pray for different countries. Global prayer digest. Every month they're focused on a region of the country, and every day it's a different unreached people group to pray for. The Joshua. Project, go to the website called Joshua Project, there's all kinds of names of unreached people groups on there and all kinds of information my organization, the field that I'm with, the Mekong field, if you go to Info Mekong uh, we've got over 80 people groups focused now, 30 of them uh, that we have people in, there's over 130, 150 million some people in those people groups in the Mekong region, and there's all kinds of information on there about them So, last slide, the question then is, how do you find your role in God's global mission? You get busy, you get moving, you begin, you begin. You step, take a step forward, get involved, start moving. If you start moving, God can direct you. And so there's some different ways. And on this card, all five of those I just talked about are listed right here. Maybe one of those, or a couple of those, grabbed your attention. And you want to start getting involved in, in God's global mission by doing some of these things we talked about. This card, it just says, By grace of God and for His glory, I commit my entire life to obeying His commission of Matthew 28:18 18-20. Wherever and however He leads me, giving priority to the people's, people groups currently beyond the reach of the gospel. As an expression of my commitment, I will attempt to be involved in God's global plan through First Family Church in one or more of the following ways. Check. One or more. To help me follow through my commitment, I will share my decision with my lighthouse and be accountable to them and will pray about my role in this year's vision offering on April 20th. Sign and date it. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, I'm going to ask while I pray, I'm going to ask uh, elders and deacons, maybe to come to the front. And after I pray, and uh, the band begins to sing, if you're making a commitment to align your life with the Great Commission, with God's global purpose, and you filled out this card, I'm going to ask you to come and just lay it right here in the front. And then there'll be elders and deacons here, and they can pray with you. You want somebody to pray with you? you want somebody to talk to? Three weeks ago, I I gave you the illustration about this is the huddle. And now we have to run the play. And everybody's on the team. And I told you this Sunday, I'm going to tell you how to do that. That's what we've done. That's what we've done. So after I pray, and as the band sings, I want you to come forward. Lay your cards here as an expression of your commitment. People here to pray, pray with and talk to. I'll be glad to talk with you. Let's get our lives in line with God's passion for the nations. Let's pray. Elders and deacons, go ahead and come. Father, we come before You right now, Lord. And we, we just want to commit ourselves to, to the mission that You've given us. We want to make any adjustments in our life and to get our lives aligned. We crucify ourselves, our dreams, our goals, our desires. And we say, God, it's all about You. It's about Your glory among the nations. God, I pray right now as You're working in hearts, people, Lord, lead them, direct them, guide them, Father, as You, as you draw them to Yourself in, in involvement in Your global plan. Give people the courage to step forward and make this commitment and to do what they know You're leading them to do. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen.